Welcome to Sisterhood. We are in lesson seven of our teaching on the unseen journey. And before I even get started today, I have felt so impressed all day to remind each and every woman here, watching at our campuses, listening online, that you are beautiful. And I can tell you right now that some of you have heard that in your spirit and you disagree with me. But we see all the way back in the book of Genesis that God said he created each and every one of us in his image. We are image bearers of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And to say in any way that we are less than beautiful is to say that he is. So some of you needed to hear that today. Many of us need to be reminded on a daily basis that society doesn't determine our worth or our value, but we are determined in our value and in who we are by what the Word of God says about us. And the Word of God says that we are image bearers of the King. Amen? So today we're going to talk about dealing with disappointment. And if you are breathing, you have experienced disappointment. Is that true? Sometimes we experience disappointment because we prayed for something and we don't see the results that we prayed for. Things don't always look the way they're supposed to and we can't ignore this. And it isn't going to do us any good to pretend like life is perfect or like it's supposed to be perfect because that's not our present reality. The word disappointment means defeat or failure of expectation, hope, wish, desire, or intention, a miscarriage of design or plan. Now we could spend a lot of time talking about why there is a contradiction between what I prayed for and what I see. But we also need to come to terms with the fact that sometimes we're just not gonna know. Some days we're just not gonna have an answer as to why things didn't go the way that we wanted them to go. That's why the word of God tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, but his ways are higher than our ways. And there comes an element of faith and submission in that and just recognizing, you know what, God? You know way more than I do. You have a perspective and a wisdom that I have not been provided, and so I'm just gonna be at peace with that. This is why Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Why do you need a peace that surpasses understanding if we were promised to always have understanding? We're not promised understanding. We want it. Most of us are control freaks, myself at the top of the list right? But that doesn't require a walk of faith. The walk of faith says, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. I'm going to know that you're faithful. And I'm going to lean on your understanding and what I don't know. There are some things, though, that we can know. And first of all, we can know that any failure to see a promise from God fulfilled in our lives is not God's fault. Because God always keeps his promises. If we were serving a God who did not keep his promises, he wouldn't be very worthy of serving. 
because people don't want to follow someone who is not true to their word. My disappointment has way more to do with my personal expectation than it does with his promises. Okay? Expectation is to regard something as likely to happen. So when I place my expectation on him, specifically when my expectation doesn't actually line up with his promise, then I'm disappointed. What does that look like? I can remember receiving a promise from God 20 years ago. And I knew what God had promised me. I knew what he had spoken to my heart. However, over the course of many years, I placed an expectation on him of how he would accomplish that promise. Okay? So his promise didn't change. But I found myself discouraged and frustrated because my expectation of how he would accomplish that promise didn't come to pass. The problem wasn't in his promise. The promise was fully in my expectation. Disappointment doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing something wrong. It doesn't always mean that I lack faith. Sometimes I'm just not at the end of my journey yet. Sometimes we're in the middle and we're just waiting for the promise to come to pass. Sometimes it's because I'm on the right track, but there is still learning and growing and maturity that he wants to do in me because he has an ultimate greater purpose than just giving me the promise, right? I don't know. I think about my children and the number of things that they ask me for. And I have the capability of giving them almost anything they would ask of me. But I fully recognize that for me to just hand over anything that they want is not accomplishing anything, but turning them into spoiled, rotten brats, right? And can you imagine if that's the kind of God we served? Like he just made it rain all the time with everything we ever asked of him. That wouldn't produce the kind of spiritual maturity that he is calling us to, the refining that he wants to do in us so that we can be greater image bearers. So that the image that we're bearing looks way more like him rather than a bunch of snotty teenagers, right? The difference between those who reach the journey's end and those who don't isn't due to whether or not there was disappointment because there is disappointment. The difference is always what we choose to do with it. We have a choice and we're going to spend time today looking at those two choices. The first choice we have is discouragement. Discouragement is to be deprived of courage or confidence. Discouragement makes us weary. The word of God tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when someone is sick, they grow weary. They grow tired. They want to give up. But Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Lose heart here means to relax our hold. Losing heart doesn't necessarily mean that we have let go of the promise. It just means that we're not holding as securely to it as we're called to. We may still believe what the word of God has said. We may still know what he spoke to us, but because we've become weary and discouraged and tired, we don't stand firm in it. We get weak and we say, oh, you know what? I don't want to be disappointed again. 
I don't want to have to run this race at the intensity that I know God is asking of me. I would way rather walk and for some of us crawl. And if this has happened to you, if you've faced a disappointment and you've chosen discouragement, then the first thing we need to do is undo that decision and make a better choice. So if discouragement means to be deprived of courage or confidence, the opposite of that would be to encourage, to give courage to, to give or increase confidence of success. So when we say we need to be encouraged, we are essentially saying that we need our courage or our confidence back. And 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage, admonish, exhort one another, and edify, strengthen, and build up one another just as you are doing. Jesus is so faithful that he gives us incredible people in our lives to encourage us. And we can look around this room, and for many of us, we've experienced that even just in this very setting. We have friends, we have family members, we have pastors, we have counselors, we have leaders who God has placed in our lives to encourage us in the journey. But the reality is that as we are on this journey to spiritual maturity, there are going to be seasons where we don't have anyone to encourage us, where we are going to look around and feel like we are in complete isolation and where are all my friends at? And this is where spiritual maturity steps in because we need to learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. And in this uh, chapter in 1 Samuel, we're going to see the story of David. David had been anointed to be king. He was not king yet. So he had a promise that was not yet fulfilled. The current king, Saul, was jealous of David not his biggest fan, and they had gone to battle a number of times. And when we pick up in this story, we actually see that Saul and 600 of his buddies and their families have set up camp in a separate location to hide from Saul because Saul wanted David dead. So David and his 600 men get the wives and the kids settled in the camp. They get all their possessions. They set up house. They're good to go. And then David and the 600 men leave camp to go to war. They go to battle. And after they've been at battle, God calls them to go back to camp. And when they get to their camp, David and his 600 men learn that their wives and their children have all been kidnapped. All of them. Every possession has been stolen and their camp has been burned to the ground. Can you imagine? It says that David and his men wept until they had no more tears. I imagine so. Now imagine with me that you are David in this moment and you are the leader of these 600 men and all of the women and children are gone You've now wept till you have no more tears. And this is what happens next. David's friends, his 600 men that he had just spent all this time with and gone to battle with, want to stone him. They've blamed him for what has happened to their wives and their children. So now, not only is David missing his own, own wives and children, but the only people he had next to him in the battle want to stone him as well. And this is where we pick up in verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed 
For the men spoke of stoning him, because the souls of them were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David's response was different than everyone else's in that situation. And he recognized that at the point of having absolutely nothing, he had the one thing he needed more than anything else. And he got on his knees before the Lord. And there's a couple things that I think we need to learn from David's example here and how he encouraged himself in the Lord. First of all, he just did it. You know what? Sometimes when we're looking for encouragement, we're going to all the wrong places and all the wrong people. And our Heavenly Father is just saying, just come to me. Come to me. The Word of God says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But instead of going to him, we go to everything else in our lives and everyone else in our lives looking for the burden lifter that can only be found by getting on our knees before our Heavenly Father. And here's what God did. God met David in that moment. He spoke to him. He gave him clarity. He told him what next steps to take. David heard from the Lord in his obedience. And not only did he hear from God, but then he obeyed him. He was honest before God. He listened and he obeyed. And if we fast forward to the end of the story, we learn that They were able to get all of the wives and children and their possessions back. And at the same time that this very circumstance is happening, King Saul, who had been the one after David, within hours of all of this, dies himself in another battle. And it isn't much further along in scripture that we see that then David is anointed king. But what if David had not encouraged himself and the Lord in the battle? What if he had just allowed the men to stone him? What if he had given in to his own despair? He wouldn't have heard God's voice. He wouldn't have had the clarity and the direction that he needed to rescue the women and the children. And nor do I believe he could have stepped in to be king. So what promise from God do you have that you can't even begin to step into until you learn how to encourage yourself in him? to get on your knees before him and say, you know what? I have nothing left, but I have the only thing I need. Hmm. We have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Our second choice we have is desire. Desire is an emotion or excitement of the mind directed to the attainment or possession of an object from which pleasure is expected. A passion excited by the love of an object or uneasiness at the want of it and directed to its attainment or possession. Here's where desire is different than discouragement. Desire propels us forward. Desire propels us past what we see in the natural. Desire propels us past the contradiction to attain what God has for us. Because we, what we want, we want more than we want to give in to the discouragement that would naturally come. Desire propels us to the feet of Jesus. But 
if you look at that definition, it says uneasiness at the want of it. Desire can also feel very much like unease. I know what I'm promised. I see the disappointment that I'm currently dealing with, and it makes me agitated. It stirs up something in my spirit because what I'm seeing in the natural is different what I know that what God has called me to in the spiritual. And this agitation should cause me to pursue him in a greater level of intensity. If this agitation is out of desire, it's going to propel us to him. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, when we delight ourselves in him, he gives us what we request of him. But that first requires us to delight in him. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but delight means to be made soft or pliable. It means that when we bring our, our wants and our desires before him, he makes our desire his desire. He changes it. I think sometimes the mistake that we make is that we place our desires on him rather than receiving his desires for us. And I think there's a few ways that we can know the difference. How do you know if your desire is from him? Well, where did it come from? Number one, his his desires are always going to line up with the word of God. He is never going to give you a desire that does not line up with scripture because he cannot go contrary to his word. Now, sometimes there's, there's moments where God is going to speak something to your heart or you're going to have a personal desire that isn't a bad desire. And so it, because it's not a bad desire or a wrong desire, there's not necessarily foundation in scripture as to whether or not it's from God or it's not from God. So then we need to bring it before him. And we always need to be open to him confirming or removing the desire. If it's from him, then as we spend time in his presence and in his word, the desire is going to increase. But if it is not from him, when we get into his presence, he's going to remove the desire. Both are good. Both are good. Because ultimately, our desires then line up with what he has for us. And sometimes he's going to change our desires and give us desires we didn't even know we wanted. And if you had asked us, we might have said we didn't want them. But when we get into his presence and he makes his desire our desire, all of a sudden it doesn't feel like a burden. It's amazing. It's amazing what he does in that moment because he changes us to accomplish his purpose. But it most importantly, ladies, requires delighting in the Lord. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. So if you have a desire in your heart that came out of a time of delighting in him, then the existence of that desire is confirmation that you will reach your destination. Because God has promised to fulfill the desires of those who fear him. It's a promise. He obligates himself to fulfill our desires when we obligate ourselves to his purpose. 
Isn't that amazing? He gives us these incredible desires, and then he binds himself in Scripture, obligates himself in Scripture to fulfill them so we can stand on his goodness and his faithfulness. We have a choice, discouragement or continued pursuit. We can give in to disappointment and lose courage, or we can lean in closer. We can pursue him and allow the desire and the promise and the destination to keep us moving forward in this journey until we have it. So when we're faced between desire and discouragement, there's a few things that we need to keep in mind. The first one is understand that you are making a choice between these options, whether you realize it or not. We don't always perceive this when we're standing at a crossroad. But the choice isn't just whether or not we're going to keep going, because if we keep going in the wrong direction, we're not going to get to our destination. It's also important to understand that asking questions isn't wrong. Do you know that God can handle our questions? He already knows we have them. It is not a surprise. He is not shocked by the questions. He is not shocked by our emotions. I'm shocked by my emotions, but he's not. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And we can't let what we don't understand become an obstacle that trips us up. You see, if we're not careful, that whole wanting to have full understanding that we talked about earlier will keep us from stepping into the promise because we feel like he somehow owes us an explanation. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth, does not owe us an explanation. I might want it, but he is not obligated to give it to me. That's what makes him God. He isn't on trial. Our attitude is trust. So we can bring our questions to him with a soft and pliable heart, knowing that many times he will answer those questions for us, but not always. Number two, remember that all things work together for good. What things? All things. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This verse doesn't say that all things are good. It says that all things work together for good. This means that even things that the enemy intended to be bad for me, God is faithful to make them good. My husband worked for the same company for 12 and a half years. He was in sales and had many accomplishments and successes and uh, was blessed in his job. And this past fall, uh, he was doing incredibly well. He had had a good year. He was first place on his team. He was going to hit his yearly sales quota a full month early, which also meant that we were going to get a significant bonus in January. And he gets a phone call one morning in early November saying that uh, they appreciated all the work that he'd done and they wanted to go a different direction. They wanted... Fresh blood, after 12 and a half years, they wanted to put someone new in the territory and stir things up. And so with no notice, with no severance, now with no bonus, my husband lost his job within hours. 
what the enemy intended for bad, God has used for so much good. And you can believe that in that moment, there was some, really? (laughs) Really, God? (laughs) Is this really what you're doing right now? But I'm going to tell you that one of the very first things I felt impressed in my spirit to do was journal the blessings of job loss. And I sat down with my journal and I just started to make a list of all of the things that would benefit our family with my husband not having a job. Because he had worked a job for 12 and a half years now that required him to travel. And it was very intense and there was a lot of expectations and stress. And so there were so many blessings that were going to come with just his availability and his time in the presence of our family and our girls. And I can honestly say that the last three and a half months have been some of the sweetest times in my personal walk with the Lord and also in our family. And I don't know what the end looks like quite yet, but I do know that the things that he has done in us, changed in us, revealed to us, spoken over us, have been good. And what the enemy meant to cause us discouragement has only increased our desire. And that's what he does when hearts are yielded to him. We could have so easily in that moment given into discouragement because you have to believe after 12 and a half years of working for a company and giving your all and the sacrifice that that often took on our family, it's frustrating and it doesn't feel fair in the moment. And he even had opportunities, ladies, when people would call him to make the company look really bad. He had several opportunities when customers would call to screw things up for the next person. That's what discouragement does. But desire yielded to him, knowing that he works all things together for my good, means that this has been an incredible time for us. And we can stand in expectation of what God is going to do out of this season. Whatever disappointment you currently face, God can make it work in your favor and it will turn out so good that you will be tempted to believe that God may have planned for that bad thing to happen in the beginning, which is why Paul says in Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can be against me because everything intended to be used against me ends up being used for me. Catch that. Whatever looks like in the natural now was against you. When yielded to God and his will and his ways ends up being for my good. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Our God is faithful, and he rewards choice. This choice is between discouragement and desire. So it's important to remember that he rewards the right choice. Can you see the desire in that verse? Earnestly and diligently seeking him. And when we allow the desire for him to pull us into his presence so that we can know his heart, we are rewarded for that pursuit. 
God is looking for men and women who will stand up and be different, be countercultural. David was the only man among his friends to make the right choice. And this is why we see in scripture over and over that God says he was a man after God's own heart. This journey is going to change us, and that is its purpose. There would be no point in God leading us through the valley if we came out of it on the other side unchanged, right? So before we close, let's take a quick look at our story of the journey to the promised land. We've talked about how the people didn't believe the promise of God and chose instead to believe the report of their five senses. So they were told that God had given them the promised land and they sent some spies in to check out the land. And when the spies came out, two of them said that God has promised to give us this land, let's go. And the rest said, no way, Jose. And they believed the men and what they saw in the natural more than they believed the promise of God, which meant that they now have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. But those two men who did believe the promise of God were Joshua and Caleb. They went in, saw the promised land, believed what God had already spoken to them. And so these two men end up being the only two that actually got to step into the promised land. But they had to wait 40 years to do it. God gave them a promise. And he promised to fulfill that in their lives because of their obedience. But it didn't happen immediately. And you have to believe that Joshua and Caleb felt discouraged at some points in this journey because they had made the right choice. They believed God. And yet because of the disobedience of other people, they couldn't walk into the promised land for another 40 years. They could have chosen to become discouraged. But this is Caleb's attitude 45 years later. Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. 45 years later, he's still standing on the promise of God with a perspective of desire rather than discouragement. Ladies, sometimes we can't go 45 minutes with the perspective of desire over discouragement. Sometimes God speaks something to us and we're ready to quit before we've even gotten off the ground or taken a step forward. And this is the crucial part of getting in his presence, of prioritizing that above all else. Because this is what is going to propel us through this journey into the promises that he has for us. Caleb was rewarded for having a heart that desired God 
but he had to endure disappointment along the journey before he could receive it. So what is your choice going to be? Are we going to choose desire or discouragement? You're going to see how he takes your circumstances and uses all of them to benefit you. And you're going to notice things you learned and people you met in the places and detours on the journey. And you'll be glad that God took the time to teach you and reveal himself to you. And you will be thankful then. So let's just be thankful now. Let's just be thankful now that what he's doing is good. Let's thank him before we receive the promise. He will complete the work and he will lead us to our destiny. Amen.